Gentlemen, bienvenue and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing La Plume de Maton. La Plume de Maton. Apologies. I'm sorry. Yes, we have played a trick on you. The audio you just heard was not from this week's subject. We do not have any audio from this week's subject. It's a travesty. It's a nightmare. And so we decided to play a trick on you. That was La Plume de Matin, which topped out at number 29 on the UK singles chart in July of 1959. I ask this from a position of deep concern. Was everything okay in the UK in July of 1959? This was a hit song? I am deeply concerned. Okay, how are we doing? I hope this episode of The Musical Man finds you well. Look, I apologized for playing a trick on you. I am not going to do it again. Stop yelling at me. Okay, we have a few points to address here in the opening segment. Benny informed me that he has listened to the first three post-blackout episodes of The Tennis Podcast. Yes, that's right. Benny told me that there has been no mention. No mention has been made of the old host or his current situation. It is troubling. Patty... (laughs) Patty believes we have already spent way too much time on this so-called mystery. Where did he go? What happened to the other tennis podcast, man? But Benny is determined to figure it out by hook or by crook. Those are his words, not mine. And I am here to say that I am mad. I am mad not about Benny. I am not mad at Benny about his investigative work. I am angry with the Postal Service because my propeller beanie has not arrived in the mail yet. Patty is wearing her beanie because it came in the mail. And of course, Benny has had his beanie, Benny's beanie, for a very long time. And so I am the only one sans beanie. I want a Benny beanie. I want a Benny beanie on my on my head. <laughs> oh, it is so frustrating. Okay, I want to say this. This episode of the podcast will be coming out via the main feed one day before Patty's 37th birthday. February 3rd, that's her birthday. Happy birthday, Patty, in advance. Oh, we love you so much. We really do. Oh, it's great to have all three of us here for this brand new episode. I say let's close out this opening segment. Oh, we got to get those show facts, yeah? We got to get the show facts. Show me the show facts. All right, let's do it. Happy birthday, Patty. Happy Happy birthday, Patty. I did not sing for Benny, but I sing for Patty. Why? That seems unfair, right? Happy birthday, Benny. Happy birthday, Benny. Because I sang for Patty. Singing bad on purpose. I also sing for Benny. 
Show me the show facts, Jonathan. Stop singing. <laughs> La Plume de Maton first premiered in 1955 at the Garrick Theater in London, oi oi oi, where it ran for two and a half years. It may have been staged in Paris prior to 1955, which would make sense considering most of the company members were French, but the early days of this show's timeline are very hazy. I had a hard time figuring out the early portion of the timeline. And so we will now jump to its time on Broadway. La Plume was a 1959 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on November 11th, 1958 at the Royale Theater and ran for 835 performances. Very impressive. Shortly after closing in 1960, the show toured Las Vegas, Los Angeles, and San Francisco. It was a very popular show. The book was written by Robert Derry. Derry also received a devised by credit. Derry is all over this production, as you will come to find. The music was written by Gerard Calvi. The French lyrics were written by Francis Blanche, while the English lyrics were provided by Ross Parker. The director was Robert Derry. We also have a staging by credit, which goes to Alex Shanks. The musical director was Gershon Kingsley. Orchestrations, Gerard Calvi, Billy Tennant, and Ronnie Monroe. Do we have a choreographer? Yes, we do. The choreographer was Colette Brossette, and we have scenic design by Dick Nemo, Erti, Alec Shanks, Henri Penek, and Lila de Nobeli. Curtain design. We have a curtain design credit, which goes to Verte. I am known as Verte. That's it. Lighting design, Charles Elson. We do not have a sound designer, so we will move on to costume design. We do not have a general costume designs by credit. Instead, we have a dress designs by, and that goes to Jacques Estrell. The original Broadway cast was as follows. We have Robert Derry, Pamela Austin, Nancy Baron, Coca Brosa Cola, Colette Brosette, Roger Caccia, Yvonne Constant, Genevieve Colombelle, Francois Daly, Nadine Gorbachev, Jill Hoham, Michael Kent, Jean Lefebvre, Jacques Legras, Michel Modo, Pierre Olaf, Nicole Parent, Ross Parker, Henri Penec, Claude Perrine, Brigitte Penard, Mona Pivar. These names are very difficult. I apologize for any mispronunciations. Did I say Mona Pivar? Let's say that I didn't. Mary Reynolds, Anna Stropini, Genevieve. We have another Genevieve. Genevieve. Zanetti. And we also have, we also have on top of all of this, we have the Corps de Ballet, the Dugudu Dancers, the Ladies Athenian Choir, and the Royal Croquettes. Tony nods. Okay, La Plume de Matante won special awards for contributions to the theater. Those awards went to the following company members. Colette Brossette, Jean Lefebvre, Jacques Lagrasse, Pierre Olaf, Michel Modo, Michael Kent, Roger Katia, Yvonne Constant, Henri Penek, Ross Parker, Genevieve Colombelle, Pamela Austin, Nicole Parent, and Robert Derry. It was additionally nominated for Best Musical, of course, but also Best Conductor and Musical Director, Gershon Kingsley, and Best Direction, Robert Derry. So, three nominations in total 14 special awards? I guess it's a little hard to do any sort of tangible real math here. I'm not used to including special awards for this total, okay? I'm freaking out. I'm panicking. There were a few additional special awards that were handed out. During the 1959 Tony Awards, John Gilgood received a special award for, quote, his extraordinary insight into the writings of Shakespeare as demonstrated in his one-man play, Ages of Man, 
Quote, Playwrights Howard Lindsay and Russell Krauss, best known for their work on the libretto for The Sound of Music, received special awards to commemorate their partnership, which at that time had lasted longer than that of Gilbert and Sullivan, a highly specific distinction. Congratulations, you have been working together longer than Gilbert and Sullivan. Here are a couple of special awards. Very strange. When it comes to summarizing the plot of the show, I find myself to be in a bit of a bind. There is no proper plot summary to be found online, and so I am going to quote directly from Wikipedia. According to Wikipedia's aggressively economical logline, quote, the play consisted of a number of short sketches in English, French, and pantomime which satirized French society, quote. So this isn't a traditional book musical. This is a sketch comedy review, but it's not, again, I say to you, this is not what we typically think of when it comes to a Broadway musical. We're thinking outside of the box in terms of structure and form. I have another quote for you. This is from the website The Guide to Musical Theater. Oh, how I love to lean on The Guide to Musical Theater every now and then. Quote, one of the charms of this clever review proved to be that something was always going wrong. But whatever disasters occurred on stage, Derry maintained his deadpan look and the company stoically kept their stiff upper lip. Quote, the site also describes Derry as a, quote, comedian of universal nature, like Chaplin. Quote, okay, I haven't seen him in this performance. Obviously, I was born decades after the fact, but let's just calm down. I don't know if we need to be comparing Derry to Chaplin. Let's just bring it back a little bit. There appears to be a French, this is the sources segment, okay? We've moved on to the sources segment. There appears to be a French language cast album, which is out of print, unfortunately, and while the 1959 Tony Awards were locally televised in New York City, the broadcast has not been made available online, which probably doesn't matter anyway because I don't believe any of the shows were represented via performances. Okay, we weren't really doing that at the time, so it doesn't really matter that the 1959 broadcast is not available. If you want to watch the 1960 Tony Awards, that is on YouTube, but 1959 forget about it. Thankfully, the original playbill is online, as is the review from the New York Times. You could, you could, pay four bucks to read said review, but why do that when I've already transcribed it? The writing could be better, I will say that. That's my only note regarding this review, which I will now read in full. The full headline is as follows. French review en anglais. La plume des matins opens. This review is written by Brooks Atkinson and it was published November 12th, 1958. Never have so few been so funny as the French troupe in La Plume de Maton, which opened at the Royale last evening. Nor have they ever been so funny with such undistinguished material. According to the billing on the program, they number 14, none of them stars of spectacular magnitude, and the material consists of a two-act vaudeville show. But 
under the direction of Robert Derry, who is author, divisor, and headman in general, they play with such spirit that the whole evening is bright and gay, and the first act is thoroughly uproarious. Don't be confused by the title. It is only a random phrase cut out of a French language primer that for generations has declared the pen of my aunt is on the table. Since most of us do not speak French, Derry and his compatriots have struck a working compromise. They speak something that sounds like English. Even if they spoke Chinese, the communication would be satisfactory, for they are agile comedians with a dry style of mobile nonsense who take themselves nor their show seriously and skip through an evening of unsophisticated routines with sophisticated expertness. At Le Bal Chez Madame de Motamoui, couples change partners, costumes change color, full wine glasses become empty wine glasses in the split second it takes the actors to pass behind a pillar. In courting time, father, mother, suitor, jadam, and others pop in and out of windows and doors with a logic and speed that changes the situation in the fashion of the classical burlesque show. One of the precision dancers in The Royal Croquettes persistently kicks the wrong way. The queen of the striptease, Colette Brossette, cannot slide the crucial zipper. None of those things is fresh or particularly funny in itself, but the performance makes them funny. For the actors are effortless. They do not feel the need of topping one another or every act. Obviously, they have been performing so long that the comic rhythms have become spontaneous. They are hard-headed, ironic, and droll buffoons. Give them four sketchy shower booths with doors that open by reflex action, and they can make the world seem giddy and delightful. They are masters of the gag that is irrelevant. Although the music is lively, it is commonplace. Although the scenery is useful, it is not opulent or dazzling. Although the costumes are cheerful, they are not ravishing for the company has put all their confidence in witty notions and comic acting. Nothing that costs money seems to have made much impression on them. To judge by the results, the point is well taken. In a ballet staged in darkness, it is enough to have one of the dancers use a flashlight so that she can see where she is going. In a ballet classique, it is enough for Pierre Olaf as the prince to pause long enough to indicate that he is not sure of the propriety of his costume. In an orchestral rehearsal, it is enough amid the ludicrous bedlam for Ross Parker to declare that he always wears slippers for chamber music. At the close of the first act, it is enough for four grave young friars swinging on bell ropes to pick up a jazzy version of an old nursery rhyme and translate it into a mad, joyous maypole dance that is simple, impish, and very funny. There are not many performers, and they come from France with a minimum of impedimenta but they have style and a wonderfully convivial sense of humor. Although they have left a lot of friends at home, they are among friends in this country. Quote, unquote, that's the review. That's it. This is the point in the episode where we would typically hear a lot of clips from the score of this week's subject, but again, we do not 
have any audio from this show. It's very frustrating, but here's what I will do. I will provide to you a breakdown of the entire structure of the show. I got this from the original playbill, which is available online. We mentioned that. Here's how we begin. Act one, we have Spikaran. We follow that with Amsterdam, Mobile Squad, Rider to the Sea, Le Bal Chez Madame de Motamoui. That got referenced in the New York Times review. We have Husbands Beware. I want to know what Husbands Beware was all about. We then have Light Soprano in a small cafe. Ballet Classique, Song of the Swing. Precision, that word is in quotes for some reason. I don't know why. Precision, I, I don't know. We have Courting Time, Femme Fatales. On the Beach, Queen of the Striptease. And we close out Act 1 with Frera Jaca. That has to be the monks, right? With the bells. Bing bong, bing bong, bing bong, bing bong, I don't know. Moving on to act two, we have homage musical, Domingo Blazes, in an Indian temple, I'm sure that was not problematic at all, we have a sketch known as This Other Eden. The Guide to Musical Theater describes this sketch as such. In this pantomime sketch, Adam, the first Frenchman, is slow to react to the effects of an apple offered to him by a serpent. One of the cast members played a straight-up serpent. That's all I know about this particular sketch. We then move on to Men at Work, Administration. In the Paral Gardens. I don't know. I don't know if I'm pronouncing any of these French words right. I don't know. Oh, merde. Takeoff. That's our next sketch. Takeoff. Ballet Moderne. The Ventriloquist. Oh, hello. Love a ventriloquist. Do I? I don't know. Then we have Trapped. That's in quotes too. Trapped, quote unquote. And then we close out with Acrobatie and Le Finale de Paris. Paris is the end. That translation is provided to us for some reason. That's the entire structure of the show. I have nothing more for you. I cannot give you anything else because I don't know anything else. We must now, we are forced to move on to our fine, fine sponsor, 5678 Coffee. Can you believe it? We have gotten to this point so quickly. I do love 5678 Coffee. I should say, I've got my mug right here and I'm going to be enjoying this while we hear from our sponsor. Take it away, Five. Six, seven, eight. Out of my way. Shoo, get away from me. Humbug, that's what I say to you. It's time for Matthew Broderick to do a five, six, seven, eight coffee ad. Everybody shush. I'm gonna be talking. And I'm not gonna be talking about the Lion King, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, or the producers. No way. I wanna talk about Margaret. Anybody seen me in Margaret? I play a Shakespeare teacher. Yeah, that's it. And oh, it was the most wonderful and fulfilling filmmaking experience of my life. I would be in between takes, sipping my five, six, seven, eight coffee, and I would think to myself, this is what being an actor is all about. It isn't about sashaying on the stage of the producers. It isn't about standing in some stuffy room playing a lion. And I want to play a lion. No. I don't want to. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. You call that acting? Margaret, now that's a real picture. It's three hours long. It's about a girl who witnesses a woman who is killed via a bus accident. I wouldn't know anything about vehicular manslaughter, but oh, I should have gotten an Oscar nomination. I should have gotten a Golden Globes nomination. I 
should have gotten a Grammy nomination because I made that dialogue sing. I made that dialogue sing. I made that dialogue sing. And I drank five, six, seven, eight coffee to keep my vocal cords lubricated. That's something you can take to the bank, actors, studio students. Drink five, six, seven, eight coffee so you can keep your instrument warm. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to go play Simba in The Lion King 4. That's right, we're skipping three and jumping right to four. Hakuna, Matata, Hakuna, Matata. Matthew, you just said that none of that matters. I know, but I need the money, honey. I need the money. Final thoughts regarding La Plume de Menton. What do you want from me? I don't have any final thoughts regarding La Plume de Menton. I don't know enough. I don't know enough to have basic beginner's thoughts. And so I am afraid we must go on. We must move on. In 1959, the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical was Redhead, and the only additional nominee that season was Flower Drum Song. I contend that we probably could have found a show to replace La Plume de Menton in that set of nominees. I, I desire a more traditional book musical. I don't think a sketch review really counts as a musical, quote-unquote. I do, I like to think outside of the box just as much as anyone else, all right? I'm not a square, I'm not from Cubesville, but come on, a sketch comedy review that sometimes employs music, is that really a musical? No, and so we must look at the shows that were snubbed. The snubs from the 1958-1959 season, we gotta find a show that can replace La Plume de Maton, right? Let's take a look. Who was snubbed that season? Well, we have the Nervous Set by Jay Landsman, Theodore J. Flicker, Tommy Wolf, and Fran Landsman. This musical was about a wealthy publisher and his wife who travel from their Connecticut suburb to New York's Greenwich Village while navigating their dysfunctional marriage. The New York Post found it to have, quote, a certain juvenile brightness in its amiably frenetic activities. Quote, what a stupid set of words. What a bunch of five fucking dollar words. The show ran for 23 performances. Moving on, we have Destry Rides Again by Leonard Gersh and Harold Rome. This is a western based on the 1939 film of the same name, and it tells the story of a rough and tumble town known as Bottleneck. Think of it as a more rough and tumble Oklahoma. I don't know. It ran for 472 performances. We also have First Impressions by Abe Burroughs, Robert Goldman, Glenn Paxton, and George White. This is based on Helen Jerome's 1935 stage adaptation of Jane Austen's novel, Pride and Prejudice. So we adapted the novel into a play, and then we adapted the play into a stage musical. If you think there are no original ideas now, I hate to tell you this, we've never had that many original ideas. We were constantly turning to other sources for our musical entertainment. It's a musical version of Pride and Prejudice. What do you want me to say? It ran for 92 performances. Performances. What about Juno by Joseph Stein and Mark Blitzstein? This is based closely, the word closely is used on Wikipedia, based 
closely on the 1924 Sean O'Casey play Juno and the Paycock. Quote, the story centers on the disintegration of an Irish family in Dublin in the early 1920s during the Irish War of Independence. Juno is a hard-working matriarch who strives to hold her family together in the face of war, betrayal, and her worthless husband's drinking. Quote, fuck you, drunken husband. The show ran for 16 performances. We're not doing great in terms of these runs. We have Goldilocks by Walter Kerr, Jean Kerr, Leroy Anderson, and Joan Ford. Quote, a parody of the silent film era, it focuses on Maggie, a musical comedy star who longs to retire from show business and marry into high society, until director Max Grady reminds her she is obligated to star in his film, Frontier Woman. Arguments and slapstick situations ensue as the movie evolves into an epic about ancient Egypt. Quote, Elaine Stritch played Maggie. The show ran for 161 performances. I'm not going to count this next show, but I do want to mention it very briefly. This is A Party with Betty Comden and Adolph Green. It was a review of old Comden and Green material. It was a total victory lap for the collaborators. It ran for 82 performances. This is not a musical, and so I am not counting it. No. Finally, we have Whoop Up by Cy Fuhrer. Ernest H. Martin, Dan Cushman, Moose Charlap, a fella named Moose Charlap, and Norman Gimble. Whoop Up is based on Stay Away Joe by Dan Cushman. I don't know if Stay Away Joe is a book or a play or a fucking short story or an article. I don't fucking know. Quote, Welcome to Glenda's Place, a saloon half on and half off a Montana Indian reservation. Glenda's one tough gal until her Native American boyfriend returns after two years on the rodeo circuit. Quote, two westerns in one season, two western musical comedies. Are you keeping track of this? Whoop Up ran for 56 performances. Okay, that's it. So what show am I replacing La Plume de Maton with? I'm gonna go with Juno. It sounds like the most respectable and most dramatic. We have a lot of comedies going on this season, so why not nominate a show that has more of a dramatic backbone? Okay, Juno, you got the nomination, but who ultimately deserved to win? I don't know. Redhead? Let's say that Redhead should keep the medallion. Who knows? I haven't listened to it. I might change my mind in the future. I might. You never know. When it comes to ranking La Plume de Maton against all of the other musicals we have talked about on the podcast, I find it is my solemn duty to place this show in the Phantom Zone along with all of the other shows. Oh, they just... There's not enough material to go on. We can't make a fair assessment of the these shows because there aren't cast albums, there aren't video recordings, there's nothing to go on, all right? That's the Phantom Zone. If you've never heard it before, that's what it is. Here are the other shows in the Phantom Zone. Big Deal, James Joyce's The Dead, Quilters, Merlin, After Midnight, Ain't Supposed to Die a Natural Death, and Cyrano the Musical. We covered that very recently. Well, Cyrano, you have a brand new friend. It's La Plume de Maton. Have fun together. I am excited to share this show 
unrelated ephemera with you. As I said, I paid four bucks to access the New York Times database, their microfiche database, and I took notes on all of the theatrical, the stage advertisements that were on the same page as the New York Times review we heard earlier in the episode. So I want to tell you about these New York theater advertisements. Here's one. Sam Levine in the New Laugh Riot, Make a Minion. Quote, it's fun, fun, fun. Quote, Judy Holiday in Bells Are Ringing. Quote, a sweetheart of a musical comedy. Quote, David Wayne, Vivian Blaine, and Johnny Desmond in the season's comedy hit, Say Darling. Quote, wonderfully funny. Quote, Jean Benet's controversial thriller, Death Watch, with Vic Morrow. Quote, a bizarre and haunting theater-going adventure. Quote, Zero Mostel in James Joyce's Ulysses in Nighttown. Quote, perfect. Quote, Diversions, the new musical entertainment, quote, offers an evening of fun, quote, the boyfriend, quote, should run forever, quote, Arthur Miller's The Crucible, no quote, no quote regarding Arthur Miller's The Crucible, it stands and speaks on its own, for itself, Sean O'Casey's new comedy, Cock-a-Doodle-Dandy, no quotes, Cock-a-Doodle-Dandy speaks for itself, fuck you, you know what Cock-a-Doodle-Dandy is, go see it. The Three Penny Opera, quote, choice seats tonight, quote, that's what we're going with. (laughs) We don't have any, we don't have any critical review quotes for you. We just want you to know there are seats available for the Three Penny Opera. Please come see it. Hey, how about the Irish players in the Playboy of the Western World, quote, racy, melodious, quote. Hey, here's an advertisement for Goldilocks. We were just talking about this. Goldilocks is a bountiful and handsome musical, quote, unquote. Look homeward, angel, quote, theatrical magic, quote. The George Abbott production, Drink to Me Only with Tom Position, quote, top comedy on Broadway. Oh, it's a top, baby, quote. West Side Story, quote, brilliant musical, quote. We have an advertisement for a play known as Hamlet of Stephanie Green, which is combined with an ad that has nothing to do with theater at all. Here is that ad, quote, to buy, sell, or insure a boat. See Parkman and Stevens Incorporated, designers, brokers, insurance, 11 East 44th Street, New York City, quote, if you want to buy a boat, they want you to go to them. Here's another show for you. Look Back in Anger by John Osborne. No quotes. You know what it is. Go. Joseph Cotton and Arlene Francis in Once More with Feeling with Walter Matthau. Oh, there you go. Quote, a mighty crescendo of fun. Quote, Jessica Tandy and Hume Cronin in a new comedy, The Man in the Dog Suit with Carmen Matthews. Quote, something to bark about. A very happy vehicle for Cronin's. Quote, I am not making up that quote. I am not making up the name of that play. All of this stuff is very real, let me assure you. We have advertisements for Berjoka Russian Dance Company, quote, exquisite, quote, Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra at Carnegie Hall, Boston Symphony Orchestra at Carnegie Hall, ooh, the show Blood Wedding, quote, exceptionally fine, quote, not much of a compliment, but what are you going to do? Theater 25 presents Jean-Paul Sartre's No Exit. 
Vincent, the world of Susie Wong, quote, tender, touching, compelling, quote, how about an advertisement for Children of Darkness? How about an advertisement for Nightcap, a new review, quote, pure joy, quote, how about an advertisement for Ivanov, quote, an off-Broadway triumph, a journey with strangers, do you want to go see that? How about Eloise, quote, theater at its highest level, quote, and then finally... <laughs> <laughs> I took notes on every single fucking advertisement. Can you tell? We have this big, big ad for Arthur Laurent's comedy, The Time of the Cuckoo, and there are so many quotes that I combined them into one big paragraph, and you might notice a theme here. Quote, New cuckoo is better than the original. Brilliant. Infinitely superior to the Broadway production. Splendid. Off-Broadway shows Broadway how to stage. First rate, sharper, more substantial, more resolved, a reincarnation, warm and real, gains substance from its intimacy. Quote, I think the theme here is, it's better, we assure you. Remember that stinky show that you saw on Broadway? Well, now it's off Broadway, and it's better. We paid people to say as much. I want to close out the show-related ephemera segment with a couple of movie advertisements. Why not? We all like the movies. Here are movie advertisements from the movie review section of the New York Times. Quote, Blundering, wondering, Cary Grant is mama and papa to three marvelous, mischief-making kids till lovely Sophia Loren climbs aboard his houseboat to help and stays to play house in Paramount's Houseboat. I've never heard of that film. I have also never heard of I Want to Live, which is summarized thusly. Her personal integrity was completely violated. That's in all caps. Her personal integrity was completely violated. From the moment she was arrested, Barbara Graham had no privacy. Not even as much as an animal has in a cage. She never had a moment to think of herself as a human being. Justice was not violated in this case. Justice was a See Susan Hayward as Barbara Graham, whose murder trial shocked the world. I want to live! I do have one other advertisement that I want you to know about. Real quick, Mickey Rooney's engagement at the Copacabana will begin tomorrow night, okay? So if you have a time machine and you want to see Mickey Rooney at the Copacabana, you know where you need to go. You know where you need to go. To determine which show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the random number generator I named after that classic Rodgers and Hammerstein show, Dodecahedron for your life. Everyone ready? Then away we go! Well, 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 speak of the devil. This was a 1957 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. We are staying in the 1950s, people. This ran for 924 performances, and we were talking about this during the ephemera segment. It's a Judy Holiday vehicle. It's bells are ringing. Freyra Jaka, bing bong, bing bong, vormez-vous, vormez-vous. We were just talking about that. Don't you love serendipity? Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you can 
support the show financially. As a reminder, 100% of every monthly payout is donated to the Okra Project. You can donate $1, $3, $5, or $10 a month. If you donate $1 a month, you get Monday early access to all of our main feed episodes. You get a verbal shout-out each and every week. Thank you so much for donating at least $1 a month. Andy, Elizabeth, Aaron, Jason, Jack, Vitor, Sydney, Katie, Elena, Anton, Ross, HJG, Jared, Eli, David, Dave, Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, Jonathan, Marcus, Rob, Shauna, Shiante, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. You get 17 bonus episodes about the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, a trailer review for the film Cats, ABC's The Little Mermaid Live, a full review of the film Cats, Emma at Chicago Shakespeare Theater, Take Me to the World, a Sondheim 90th birthday celebration, Hamilton via Disney+, Plus. Documentary Now, Original Cast Album, Co-op, John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch, Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey, Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square, Harlow the Alligator Boy, a trailer review for Steven Spielberg's West Side Story, Vivo, the Tony Awards present Broadway's Back, Diana, and Annie Live. You get Season 1, 12 episodes of Radio Boy, a series for which I check in with myself, via the non-musical theater songs that make me feel more like myself, and then returning in this year, this calendar year of 2022, M3, The Movie Musical Man. We have already produced 12 episodes of this series, which is all about watching trios of movie musicals. Each month, we watch three movie musicals that are tied by a common theme. It's a wonderful series. Again, late 2022. Look out for brand new episodes. If you donate $3 a month, you get everything I've already described, plus a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing. All 10 episodes of Wildcats Everywhere, the high school musical podcast, Podcast, and a special one-off all about Julie and the Phantoms. $5 a month will get you everything I've already described, plus you get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I discuss on the podcast. You get seasons one and two, 24 episodes of All I Ask of You, an advice show hosted by the Phantom of the Opera. You get access to our Broadway in Chicago review series. We most recently talked about Oklahoma, and on February 9th, we will be releasing our latest Broadway in Chicago review, which is going to be dedicated to Hairspray. Finally, in this tier, you get volumes 1, 2, 3, and 4 of Shout About It. These are compendiums, collections of 5, 6, 7, 8 coffee ads and musical shoutouts from the first 100 episodes of the podcast. Finally, as a $10 a month patron, you get everything I've already described, plus exclusive announcements regarding future subjects of the main feed, season 1, 12 episodes of The Snub Club, which is all about musicals that were snubbed. They were not nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. Shows like Whoop Up and The Nervous Set. We also have Turn It Off, a series dedicated to off-Broadway musicals. Shows like Emojiland, Soft Power, The Fantastics, We Are the Tigers, Bat Boy, and A Strange Loop. Those were the subjects of our first six episodes. We will begin releasing another six episodes starting February 23rd. The subject of our first episode coming back, those subjects are Songs for a New World and Tick, Tick, Boom. If you're following the show via Apple Podcasts or Pod Chaser, please take a moment to write a five-star review. We want 60, and we have 53. We got one more five-star review this past week. Thank you so much, Zach. I love you. When we get to 60 five-star reviews, I will record and release a special episode all about, that's right, Disney's Zombies franchise. You can stream the show via Spotify, Stitcher, or Audible. Podbean, that's another streaming option, musicalmanpod.podbean.com. Follow us on Twitter at musicalmanpod, and email Email me at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. Thanks as 
always to Patty and Benny. I love you. Thank you to Alex Green for our beautiful logo and Zach Little for our fabulous intro and outro music. Oh, well, you know what that sound means? Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh, well, we'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, off Venusian, and good night. imagine that you're Cary Grant. You've got three kids on your hands, you're looking for a maid, and suddenly the doorbell rings. Senor Winters. Yes, I... Hello. Oh, hello. That's right, it's sensational Sophia Loren, and she wants the job. Oh, now listen to me, she can't stay with us. You know that guest house is too small, we'll be on top of each other. Now try to look at it from my viewpoint. Oh, no, perhaps you better not. And so she got the job. Now, Alan, I want you to understand one thing. I'm getting her for my children. Adopt me. Yes, Carrie's got the housemaid. Now all he needs is the house. Presto, presto, do your very best. Don't hang back like a shy little kid. And presto, there it is. The crummiest houseboat that ever plied the Potomac. Well, let's get off of this Oh, junk. now, come on. Now, yeah. take it easy. Now, uh, now, remember, after Chintzia does some cleaning and scrubbing and a little polishing here and there, it might be quite comfortable. Who, I? But what are you going to do with a maid like Sophia? She won't wake up in the morning. Uh, you shake her. What's the matter? Are you scared? Yes, I'm scared. Now, go on. She can't make coffee. She can't do the laundry. She can't even paint. Oops. But it's what she can do that starts all the trouble. One step, two steps, step, you do a new step, live your life with a zip.